You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello. Four years ago, Super Bowl 54 featured the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. Four years ago, although COVID was on the horizon and we knew stuff was happening in China, it never occurred to us that this would become the pandemic that would shut the world down. Four years ago, the Chuvas and Poiskamshir in Newark that the Shiva of Newark sponsored was a live shear that had speakers, subjects, and lunch, and lively conversation. Recordings of those shear were made. And when in the year 2000, Super Bowl 54 was on the horizon, San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs facing off, I had the idea of presenting chuvos from Kansas City and San Francisco, cities that represented the expansion of American life and Jewish life to the West. And I discovered very interesting chuvos that shed light on how Jews lived in those areas and the specific unique questions in Gitin and Mikvos that were Kansas City and San Francisco centered. So it's a window into Jewish American life and into those cities. Four years later, after COVID changed everything, and now in the shadow of the terror of October 7th, we now have Kansas City, San Francisco, Retooling. So I felt it was maybe instructive to hear again, to go back to that more innocent time. A sheer that you're going to hear interruptions, you're going to hear jokes. Uh, it isn't as polished, but it might be fun to know about San Francisco, Kansas City, whether you're going to watch the game or not, hearing about the Rabbonim, Hoiskin, the integrity and power of Jewish life, and in some ways, the weaknesses, the difficulties of sustaining a community there, I think will be Instructive and enlightening. So here it is again, warts and all. And may the best team win. Be well. Possible to uh, ignore that it is Super Sunday this Sunday. 150 million people, approximately 120 here in America. And we know how many more across the globe, uh, approximating 150. Um, and as I said, the gladiators representing two American metropolises will meet. Eyes across the globe will be there this Sunday in a contest that will be the 54th in determining a champion. The millennials don't know what you're doing. <laughs> but therefore we are going to have our own Super Thursday Spectacular and as it is 54 Super Bowl we're going to do 27 minutes that's going to be our first half Kansas City is the going to take the field first and I've done my research we've looked through the archives and we have found some chubas from Kansas City and the concern, Gitan, housewives and adoptees. So we're going to start with Kansas City, and uh, I'm going to have my Did time. You use Kansas City, Missouri. Oh, so this is this is part of the question whether it's Missouri or Kansas. That's going to be actually the first question. So we start in Kansas City. So actually, Kansas City um, is a city that uh, people move there 
It was, it was the western expansion of Missouri. It's right on the border. St. Louis, of course, is by the Mississippi River. You go clear across the state, and that's where you have Kansas City. Now, Kansas City, of course, part of the reason it was called was Kansas Territory, even when uh, the city was formed. There wasn't even a state there. Eventually, the Winnedet uh, City, which was across the river, across the Missouri River, um, which is, uh, let me put it even in a better way. The Missouri River, of course, is a huge river, and it goes through the Midwest. It's not as big as the mighty Mississippi, but it is a very large river, the Missouri River. The Kansas River is a good site for Western expansion. So it's only in the mid-19th century that uh, the city was developed and people started moving there. And, of course, uh, Jewish people uh, were looking, and this is true for Kansas City and San Francisco, they were looking for some place that was outside of the course was to find Parnosa was to deal with the fact that this would be a place that would be repopulated, would be populated by uh, settlers and not necessarily uh, uh, American Indians. And therefore, there would be opportunities, opportunities to sell, to trade, and to build in the tri-state area and beyond. So this was not this, this, this was not unusual. So the uh, as we're going to see, the Jews, of course, zeroed in on the main city, which was which was KCMO, which is Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas City, Kansas was actually developed years in a debt, but they called themselves Kansas City as well, and they became Kansas City, Kansas, and Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, just for, for, for football fans, people know Arrowhead, of course, the stadium that the Chiefs play in, that is in the Missouri part. And as we're going to see in the Chuva today from Rav Shochet, that... Uh, most of the Jews live is in the, is, I think it's in the Overland Park. It's called what? Leewood. Kansas. And Overland Park as well. I know that's where the, the, the day school is, the big JCC is. So the Jews actually just like have moved away from the inner city and the downtown area of Kansas City, have gone across the river into the Kansas side. And that's where I think most of the vibrant Jewish life today is in the Kansas side. But that, that was not the case as you're going to see in a couple of minutes from here. The so, Missouri side, on the, on the Missouri side, it's the home of the Reformers, at least in St. Louis. It's, and they, they, there's a lot of antagonism. They antagonize each other. So they. So, so what you're saying, Mark, even today, they're still, they're still okay. In other words, there's still a, 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 a uh, representative population on the Missouri side. Well, here was the question that came. One of the largest Reformed congregations. It's in Kansas City? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Mr. Block, H&R Block, they lived there. They built the, the synagogue. Oh, wow. That's good to know. I didn't even know that. See, I was doing a lot of research on Kansas City, and I did not know that. that the, uh, Probably Harry and Herschel. Come on. All right. Well, actually, Mark is bringing up a good point, that part of, part of the struggle, really, of Jewish life in Kansas City and San Francisco, as we're going to see, was staving off reform and trying, in a way, to create some sort of Jewish authentic life, and 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 of course the demands there were, were, were the push and the demands, especially of the people, the financiers who held the money, they were primarily non-affiliated or reformed Jews. So we're going to find out that a lot of the shuls that even began as Orthodox moved very quickly away. Um, and, and we're going to find that there's in New Jersey as well and we're going to find there were many even Choshev Talmidim of Rabbonim and Goyenim from Yitzchok Hanan and here's one who's actually Rav Shochet who was actually a Talmud of Yitzchok Hanan and this was his stop in the turn of the 20th century right after he had been in wait for it Perth Amboy <laughs> he'd been the rabbi he was the rabbi in Perth Amboy I think for a year or two and then he made his way to Kansas City from Kansas City, he went to Louisville, and from Louisville, um, back to Chicago. Apparently, uh, there was a firm community there even before that. According to Hebrew books, the first no, in, in St. Louis. Okay, I, I'm not talking about, right, I'm talking about Kansas City I'm, I'm now. Talking, I'm talking about out west in general. Oh, yeah, right, right. What I'm saying is is that uh, Rav Shochet, Rav Shol Yedid Yishochet, uh, made his way around uh, from the yeshivas in Europe student to one of the great Rabbonim, Rabbi Tzakal Khanan, he made his way eventually to Kansas City. Now, as you can see here in this tshuva, 
Um, Rabbi, I'm disappointed. You didn't say we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> That's when we when we get to part two. When we get to San Francisco, that is a great line. You can say it. You can say. It. You can bark it out. But anyway. Um, <laughs> All right. Um, anyway, so take a look here. This is Rosenfeld. Let me see if we can make this a little larger. Oh, hello. Um but St. Louis again. Um, it was actually called Anche Sfar, the St. Louis show. So he was the Rav. Um, Asher, can everybody see it okay? Let me see if I can get this a little larger. It says, okay, let me see if I can get it larger. Yeah. Asher, call your Rav of Vezin, the Kihilas Hasfarda, Meshiva St. Louis. Show me many, my dua beisha sidarti get, Vishilachti, Vasadar Leisha, Shindora, the St. Louis. Haget Sholach. So here was the question. We know that many times the husband and wives are not living in the same place. So here, the woman had already moved back from Kansas City to St. Louis. The get was being sent from Kansas City to St. Louis. So uh, Rav Shochet, who was the Rav, this is about, I'm approximating around 1906 or 1907, 1908, around 1907 or 1908. Before the NFL, yeah. Before the NFL. Um, there is actually an earlier tshuva where he is misyayitz with Rav Hersh Krasinski, cousin of Rav Chaim Moiser, who was a very chosh of a rov in Omaha. And he was, clearly seemed to have been sort of like the rov of the Midwest and that whole area. He was a, 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 a cousin to the famous Rav Chaim Moiser, and he was the rov in Omaha. He also wrote a parish on the Yerushalmi, by the way, which takes us back to, to and other things. He also wrote a, a sefer on Shulchan Aruch, Kutik Tzvi, very chosh of a sefer. Anyway, so my point is, Shochet came to Kansas City, and he didn't act like he was. He didn't act. He didn't go with his elbows out, pushing people around. He tried. He went with Krasinski. He, he, he was messiahitz with him to decide to figure out how to write the get, how to write the gittin. So the get was sent to St. Louis, and Rosenfeld wanted to know why did you not mention the second river? We know that when a get is written. A get is written, you, you have to write the name of the city, and you also want to identify where the city is. The reason why you want to do this is because you want to make sure that this woman is going, there's not going to be any error, there's not going to be anyone who has any problems with the get, that she's definitely divorced, she get remarried. We want as much information accurately as possible. So the information in the in this Kansas City get had Kansas City, but it had Kansas City only mentioning the Missouri River and not mentioning the Kansas River, which is one of the reasons why they built the city. And that's what Rosenfeld wanted to know. And he said, Hello, Bimapa, Shekorin, a land cart, Nichtav Shom, the Yasval Shneidnahores. Rosenfeld looked up the official index of the, of the atlas and he saw that there were actually two rivers. There was actually the Missouri River and the Kansas River. And in fact, the, as we said before, the, the, uh, the Kansas River actually fell into the Missouri River. And, and, and Rosenfeld said the whole city is named Kansas because of that river. So therefore you should mention that the city of where, where the get was sent from is a city that has Kansas as the, as the, that sits on the Missouri and Kansas rivers. That was his question, and therefore he was saying he's wondering whether the get is indeed kosher. So Rav Shochet says, as you can see, and I'm trying to to, uh, to increase the size here without. Here we go. So he says, first of all, you have to realize, Rav Rosenfeld, that our city, which is Kansas City, is actually two big cities, and the two cities, as he said, Shaykh and Lushnei states. The two cities are actually part of two different states. Shekorin, governors. <laughs> the Hainu, Adrachov, state line. To get the state line, Nikras, Kansas City, Missouri. Umisham ve'elech, once you pass straight state line road, and I guess there was the river was over there, then it's Nikras, Kansas City, Kansas. The Hainu, the Shaykhan, the state Kansas. The Nikras, Bilushainenu, 
and I guess these are areas in uh, in, in Kansas, Rivadin, uh, uh, and I guess are dividing. I'm not sure what this is. Vahanar Kansas Mafsik Bain Rivadin to Rivervale and Armudale and uh, Vinadet. Those are those cities that are on the other side of the river, and that's where the Kansas River is. The Kulamem Sheikham was state Kansas. And you can't just say, well, it's the same place. Not only is it, the laws are different. For example, right? in terms of liquor sales, right? And In Kansas, they were a little bit more uh, puritanical. They wouldn't let them sell any hard liquor. But in Missouri, we do sell them. And if from that place on, which is on the, you know, those puritanical non-drinkers, in that place, Kansas, in those neighborhoods, they only have one river. They don't even have the Missouri River. Because, right? Because, right? Because the Missouri River is in the Missouri side. And in fact, if you go to Winnedet, which was the main city that Kansas City became, there's really only one river there. And therefore, he says that... Um, there would not be a problem of, of of mentioning because it's clear that that is you don't have to mention the other river if the city where the get was sent from is actually in a different state. There is a river close by, and it could be geographically if it wouldn't be over a state line, you'd have to mention it because it was near enough. Rosenfeld said that the get might not be kosher because it was not the city was not properly identified. Well, then so, it wasn't clear. I don't know what... You need to, because especially you... Okay, so we do. So it, it really de- so it really depends. Yes, we do. So we do, again, we do try to identify the city, and we identify the rivers that, that are near there. But here, he says, to, it would be a mistake to mention the Kansas River, because the Kansas River would give an indicator... It would, you would think it was coming from Kansas City, Kansas... And that's what he says here, over here. And it would, he, it would confuse us. He says, Im kosu, Take a look in this paragraph. Im al nar Kansas yipsul. I think that the get would be possible and be worse. Because it's worse than a river that's outside of the Tchum. The Pesachim says the get is kosher there. But, but in our case, it would, it, would, it would indicate the get is possible. Why? Because he says, I'll bring you a proof. If somebody would write a letter, and in the letter he would write... Kansas, right? <laughs> right? It, 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 Kansas City, Kansas, that would not get to Missouri. It's a different state. Venechshav Mamish, Liracheris, and therefore, you don't need to mention, all you need to mention is the Missouri River, and you don't need to mention uh, the Kansas River at all. In fact, it might be a problem. Here's another truva, which I didn't want to get into now because I want to get to the next topic, where um, he actually says that. Um, that since most of the Jews are living here in the Missouri side, it's clear that we're not dealing with Jews. He says there's no Jews at that point living in the Kansas side at all. And since there's no Jews living there, you don't have to worry about people thinking that it comes from that spot. Um, my, I, want to, I don't want to say he's my friend, but he's a, I call him up frequently, and, and he's a wonderful Paisik in, 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 in Milwaukee, Ramendo Sandorovich. Who wrote a safer on Shamos and Gittin and other things? You've heard of Remendus on the Rabbit, right? Yeah. So, anyway, so he, and it's, it's attached to the email, he mentions the Chubas Malamed Lahoyal that talks about Karlschule in Germany. That when do you have to write, when you have cities with have similar names, when would you be Mechuyev to identify one over the other? And he mentions how this is, is, is comparable a situation where it's clear. Uh, that you wouldn't necessarily have to mention in this case. Um, he, 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 right, you wouldn't have to mention... Uh, he, he wonders, though, however, um, because the Gittin that he saw, uh, Rav Mesenderovich, they don't even say Kansas that's in Medinas, Missouri. They just write Kansas City that's on the Missouri River. It doesn't say Kansas City that's in the state or the Medina of Missouri. The Gitan that he found do not say that. He mentions my Rebbe and, of course, the person I'm very close to, Renata Greenblatt. Or even when Renata Greenblatt wrote Gitan, he did not write uh, on the state of Missouri. 
Uh, and he was wondering, again, based on this Jerusalem Lechayel, why not? Why not write an Izzulu Ibaib Sarachian on that? Okay, so that's Gitan. Now let's go to the other question that we had, the other Kansas City question that was given. There's more to look at, obviously, but I want to want to go quickly. Here is the Shaila of of yeah. this was a Shaila that also I think is reflective of the times. Uh, the author of the Shaila uh, was an incredible life story of Shmuel Tobias Stern, known I knew him as Ratibor Stern. I knew him in Miami. He was uh, famous in, in many uh, areas as the Rabbi Machshir of Hebrew National, and you might remember that, uh, Rav Tibor Stern. Rav Tibor Stern was born in Hungary, in Ehel, uh, and he made a number of trips across the ocean. Uh, he was, uh, But he was able to be Mishamish at a young age and be close to many Gedeulim in Europe and Hungary. And I haven't seen... And I, I knew him for a number of years when I was in Miami, and his Havas was Shane Kamayu. He loved speaking and learning. He wrote about 49 Svarim, uh, including a number of Svarim that he wrote in Kansas City. One of them, I think, is actually, and again, he got to Kansas City uh, after Tiltulim in Europe and Mexico, Mexico City, and then back to EL and back to Europe and to California, actually in Oakland, where he was sort of like a youth director. And a, and, and he was known as an Ili, a prodigy. Uh, you can see from the way he wrote, and I knew him from the way he spoke, that he was able to, to, to really fire all over Shas. Um, he, and, and, and he actually, uh, as you're going to see in this chuva, he actually comes across as a big mafmer, and you'll see what the question is. So Moshe Gordon was someone that, uh, Tibor came to, Tibor came to Kansas City when he was about 26 years old. And you could call him a sort of like a Holocaust, um, survivor. He definitely escaped, came back, um, I don't know if he wasn't really there uh, during the Krieg, but um, and, and he married a, from a uh, uh, from a Chassidish mishpacha. He married a uh, uh, an Einikol from Balshem from Los Angeles, and from Oakland. He eventually he was called to be the rov of six shuls. He says in Kansas City, he was the rav of Kansas City. He stayed in Kansas City for about nine years. He wrote, as I said, many svarim, um, and. Uh, then he came to Miami Beach, where he was the rov from uh, rov in Miami Beach from about 1955 till he died, which was about 50 years. So he was there until about 2004 is when he passed away. So um, in Kansas City, this was the question. He, he, he said he helped start the school there. Ramesha Gordon, who he mentions, was one of uh, was also a rov and seemingly a principal. And this was the question: Okay, basically what she wants to do is like this. We know that in our Hilchas Nida, that we wait for a woman to stop bleeding uh, after she begins her menstrual cycle, but we don't, of course, uh, apply the Dintera. The Dintera, of course, would be seven days, and after seven days, after seven days are completed, the woman is allowed to go to the mikveh. And then she saw her Labayla. Then comes the days that, as you remember, in learning Nida recently, then comes the days that we call the Yemei Ziva. However, right? women have decided, they've taken out, and it was already in the time of Shas already, the women have decided, and, and the Rambonim were agreed to the Chumrah, that any time you bleed, no matter what, even if you have a very exact calendar, that you consider it as if you're a Zova. Now, a Zova is a woman that needs to actually have seven days where she doesn't see any blood whatsoever, that we call it seven clean days, at the end of those seven clean days, then she goes to the mikvah. Now, Azava, interestingly enough, is able to go to the mikvah on the seventh day. Unlike a nida, who it's a, it's a din in yomim, that she has to wait to complete uh, seven days, Azava is allowed to go to the mikvah on the seventh day. However, Chazal says she should be very careful about having relations with her husband because it's possible she might she might she needs those days to end, and it's possible that she might see blood, and that would ruin her count. All these things are important to know because uh, we now treat every nida like with the chumra of a nida and a zava, which means no matter how much, right, no matter, even if the bleeding is small, is slight, but there has to be seven days. And not only that, we actually were worried about, just like a zava, we're worried about the possibility of sexual contact that she had with her husband. Um, causing her to expunge the semen, which will therefore ruin her count, 
we actually make sure that every woman, even if she bleeds very little, has to has to has to have five days, no matter what, and then seven added to that, which means in our days a woman. Um, and again, many women bleed more than that. But then you would have to at least have 12 days of tumah, right? Five extra days are added that based on the Chumar of Zaira. So in Kansas City, there was a woman who wanted to go to the mikvah earlier. Why did she want to go to the mikvah earlier? Because she's married to a man who's She's married to a man. She wants to keep Hilchus Nida, but the husband doesn't. If she doesn't go to the mikvah, then what's going to happen? What's going to happen is is that her husband is going to push her, and what's going to happen is she won't be able to resist, and they're going to be they're going to be over nisr kares, right? Because since we're dealing with a, a very big situation where. So they're going to they're going to be chayiv karis. Maybe there's something we can do to send her to the mikveh earlier. If we send her to the mikveh earlier, what will happen? If we send her to the mikveh earlier, then so we'll, then right the isra daraisa goes off. So at least this way we save her. Now the truth is is that this was written in the early fifties. So we have the date here, to, uh, 1951. Uh, actually, 1950. Tavshin is 1950. This was actually written in 1950. It's interesting that in Eretz Yisrael, in the last 10 years, there has been a movement to try to overturn the Chumr of Zerah. There's actually been what we call Rabbonim, that, uh, um, Rabbonim from the Dati um, Lumi uh, movement and others have, have said that we need to speak about this because not only is it, there's issues of, of fertility and there's issues of frustration, there's issues of problems similar to the problems that he is talking about, and that could be a, a topic really for another year. But it's interesting that this was a question that was raised here. I'm not sure. You know, there might be other places where it's raised. It might be one of the earliest uh, suggestions. Now, I told you that Tibor was the year. Tibor Shmuel Tuvia was, was from Hebrew National. And you might get the sense that he was a cow. But he actually over here comes out as a real machmer. And he was only at this time 30 years old. And you can see the type of bikiyas that he has. And he starts quoting all the different shittas. Um... And he says that really, even though there, are, uh, there is a shaila, as he says here, um, about being toivel on the seventh day, because the Rambam says that uh, even if a woman goes to the mikvah on the seventh day, the Bidirevich doesn't have to go to the mikvah again. Why? Because you're treating her like a zova. Well, a zova goes to the mikvah on the seventh day anyway. So in other words, a nidda, you're right, has to wait seven complete days. But the Rambam holds that Bidirevich, if you go to the mikvah on the seventh day, you don't have to be toivel again. And there's also the sheet of Rabbeinu Tam. Rabbeinu Tam also says on the seventh day, also you, not only is it a bit of he says even Lekatechila, as long as it's the seventh day in the daytime, in the afternoon even, late in the afternoon, Rabbeinu Tam says that uh, a woman would be able to go to the mikvah. Now again, that doesn't help much. That only helps a day, right? But at least you see the beginning in the Rishonim, a possibility not to be as machmir as waiting for the seven days to be completely over. Uh, Rav Tibor quotes uh, a tshuva here, uh, at, and you can see the type of bikiyas here. Check this type of bikiyas. Besides the shochar, he, he quotes here the Ikri Adat, the Pachad Yitzchak from Yitzchak from Porto, and then, and again, and he quotes here the Imre and over here he quotes the Avnei Nezer, that the Avnei Nezer was, Uvachuvas Avnei Nezer Sidon Tzadi Beis. That, and I looked up this Avnei Nezer, the Avinazer, which Tibor sent me to, says there is a shita of the Raifat. It's true. The Rambam says, Bidiyevid, she's basically no more Hamra than a Zova. And the worst it is, you know, Bidiyevid, it might be okay. But the Raifat that the Avinazer quotes actually says that once Chazal said we treat her like a Zova, then she's, she's, she's a Zova Nida, which means there's no cool at all to be Tayvul during the daytime. And she has no. She has no. She's she's rabbinically a complete zava and nida, and therefore the same way in nida you need the days to end before she can go to the mikvah. Here too, she doesn't get any of the kulas of being able to be tayvus. In other words, the Raivad disagrees with the Rambam and Rabbeinu Tam, and according to that, even in our days, there would be no. You have to. You'd have to 
openly, as you said, openly be mavata latakona de rabbanon in order to allow her to go to the mikvah. But what what did Tibor say should be done for her? So he says, he says nobody is matter. Even Rabbeinu Tam and the Rambam only say that tvila is good. No one says that she can have relations. And he says, Hashem yerachem aleim shol yikoshul b'isrkaris. So, so again, it doesn't seem to be the most practical psak in the world, right? In fact, Tosis famously says in the, the famous Gemara in Shabbos about you remember the, about the Yener Talmud Chochem that that his wife came with his tefillin to the Bismedrish and said, why, would, why, did my, why did my husband die young? And the Rav, the, the Tana, I think, that, was, 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 that asked her questions, said, what was he by you? What was, what was by Hilchas Nida by you? And she said that Chas Hashom, he didn't touch me, but we slept in the same bed, each in, each in separate beds. So Taisa says there that the, the, that Talmud Chacham asked his wife to go to the mikveh after seven days, so this way, the, the the days that they were machmir, she was technically not in need of daraisa. Even there, the Gemara says that I think that I don't have the lashon in front of me that Baruch Hashem that he was killed, that this was to show the Baruch Hamokam Shargai. So even there was a shtikl on like what was happening here. Um, Anyway, so what does Tibor say? He says that Kvar um, Miyomim, and again, he was only 30 years old then. Nishalti Miroyfe Echot Shiftiach Lilaymar Shemlei Titful Isha Achas Lokol Pachas Lyem Heilibuna. If we don't catch the fifth day, which would be approximately, again, the tenth day after her period, Lytelet, because we're going to miss the ovulation time. So, Upasakti Lahiris Reiser. Because, first of all, Now, I'm not sure why it's a sirkaris. Because even according to the Raivad, all it is is a very strong dindarabonon. Still, I, it's, it's, it's connected to an sirkaris. He says, we don't trust them, that they know what they're talking about. This is to shame of And therefore, we're not going to be matter. And then he says, even stronger, an isirdaraisa. Again, I looked up the Marmachimus that Rabbi Stern quotes here. I'm not sure if anybody says it might be Karav, it might be built on a Daraisa, but you can see he comes out very, very, very machmer. Um, okay, those are two Kansas City chuvas, Gitten and Housewives, as I said. The other chuva, which I'll just speak out uh, about, Tibor has another chuva. Oh, it's, oh, it's time for San Francisco. Okay, so <laughs> Kansas, City is, Kansas City has run out of time. They only got two, uh, two possessions. They only got two possessions. We'll come back. Okay, now right, now we're turning to okay. Let's go to so let's go to San Francisco. Okay, now okay, okay. We are, but you know, people are listening. Have heard it already. Okay, okay. We're not in Kansas anymore. Thank you. Now that's the entertainment. That's the halftime show. All right, over the rainbow we go. So now the um, and this is eight now. San Francisco. Um, is an incredible story. San Francisco, of course, the team, of course, is the 49ers. And the 49ers, of course, is a, uh, a reference to the gold rush of 1849, which brought millions of people into the California area, which actually created like the whole California idea of a land of riches, of a land where you can go and spread out. And once again, the Jews went there, Lady Strauss, many other very rich and powerful Jews. Some of them became mayors. Sephardim, Ashkenazim, Polish, uh, Germans, they all went to San Francisco. And San Francisco at one time had a, a population that was 10% Jewish. Um, and one that it was one of the, right. In fact, uh, after the San Francisco earthquake, uh, which was operating out of the Sheris Yisrael Shul. Now, Sheris Yisrael Shul was a shul that was started officially. So you didn't go there during the gold rush? They came. The gold rush and what the gold rush spawned. The gold rush spawned uh, a community industry. that needed that needed industry, that needed infrastructure, yes. and therefore the first Jew, the first dentist who came to San Francisco was a Jew. The Jews, right? First lawyer. What? First lawyer. Too. First lawyer. <laughs> if you take a look, I have letters from um, uh, the Sheris Yisrael Shul uh, was Orthodox, but eventually Rabbanim that were sent there realized that they don't know. This rub that we're going to talk about now, which shul he had, um, take it, take it on my from what my research has shown 
that there were many attempts to try to once again bring up an Orthodox presence, and it was very, very difficult, as you're going to see from the letters here. The Rav here was a stepbrother of one of the most famous rabbinic figures of the end of the 19th and very early 20th century, the Adaris, Abelio David Rabinowitz Tumim, who was known, of course, as Rav Cook's father-in-law. Rav Cook was married uh, to the Adaris' daughter. Uh, one of the most prolific writers, one of the most, the, uh, a bucky and Kolatai Rakula, uh, and very loved and respected. Uh, he was, in many ways, he spent his last years in Yerushalayim, and he was considered the de facto rov of the Ashkenazim Yerushalayim, the Aderis. So he writes in his autobiography uh, how he came to meet this man, Moshe, maybe I should do it like Kosel, this man, Moshe Isaac Ratovsky. All right, so Moshe Rostovsky was actually, like I said, his stepbrother. Nadaris was not happy about Rostovsky's mother, who was who became his stepmother. Uh, he writes about her how difficult it was, and his father, his the tzaddik, also was soivel. But he didn't take it, in, and he says even though there was a deal originally that she wasn't supposed to bring her children from her previous marriage, the Rostovsky kids were not supposed to be in the Rabinowitz house. They were there anyway, and he became friends with them despite. The, the, the fact that he couldn't stand his, his stepmother, he became friends with his stepbrother. And his stepbrother recognized that, that the man, that this young boy, was an Iliotsum. And when he went to make his career uh, in the United States, he sent questions to his stepbrother, the Adaris. So there's a, in the Truvis of the Adaris, there's a number of Truvis. These are really show you what, what San Francisco was like. So here we go. He says, he says, the questions that you've asked me are very difficult, and you really need to know more. Here's the first one. The shoich at tefillin. You have a shoich there in San Francisco, and he doesn't wear tefillin. Can you eat from mishkita? So first of all, you didn't say clearly, does he, does he never wear tefillin, or sometimes he doesn't wear tefillin. And also you haven't explained why he doesn't wear tefillin. If it's because he's lazy, right, or because that somehow he doesn't believe Maybe he feels like the Apikarsim, that Tefillin is really not a mitzvah from the Torah, it's only to, uh, to have her memory, and he's not Apikarsim, and of course then, not, then for sure, uh, he, 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 he's definitely possible. But even if he's Eino Poyker Batsama Mitzvah, if he's a Mis'atzel B'mitzvah, so if a person's lazy, just a pain in the neck to put on Tefillin, so you give him a din of a Mumer with the Yovah. What is he about? He's basically, uh, he basically is a person who um, is not doing mitzvahs because it's convenient for him. So the Rambam holds, if you have such a shochet, it's a mumer with the yavon, he can be, a, it's a kosher shchit as long as you, if you have someone checking. He says, there is a machlekes, the Adera says, um, but even the machlekes about whether you can eat from a shchit or not, uh, but there's a bigger question here. The, the meat that he shechted might be kosher. If, if, if it was if the knives were checked, however, there's another question of having such a person in an authority position in the tzibur. A shoichet is a mamuna, and therefore he says you can't do that. He says the person is he, he represents the community. The community trusts him. He's the one who's kasher, who's their shoichet for their food, and therefore you they can't have a karkafta the leiman of tefillin, and therefore um, there is a way out. He can go to the rov and say he's doing tshuva. And if he says he's going to do tshuva and he's going to wear tefillin from this point on, you can take him back as the shoichet. Um, okay. Then he says, he asked another question. Um, you, you're asking about uh, that he doesn't shecht well. And that that he that he basically, uh, that that someone, that you and another person saw him and you found his sakin was not, was, was pogum. Um so first of all, you didn't explain clearly what the, how he didn't shaft well. Um, he says, obviously, uh, if there's two people who know what shechita should be like, and they saw that that he wasn't shafting correct, then then you cannot you cannot he can no he can he can no longer shaft until once again he reestablishes himself that he is shafting properly. But I thought this was very interesting. The Shoichet says that, and this was in 1897, he says the Shoichet said that he got his Kabbalah from a rabbi in New York in 1862. Then he made his way out to San Francisco. He says that's 34 years ago. So no matter what you want to say about him, 
he's probably a, a pretty older fellow. He's got his, he's got his Kabbalah 34 years ago, um, and he hasn't yet been checked. So for sure, you are right in, 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 in forcing him to go and stand in front of another Rav and, and mock himself. What's behind this? You can see, why does he even have to ask, send the question back to Europe? You can see the power of the Shaykhtim. You can see the power that the Rav was almost powerless. Right? He's, he viewed him. He knows he's not putting on tefillin. He saw that he wasn't shafting right. Right? He needs to get the Adaris's Haskama. Adaris, Rav Aponovich, Rav Amir, teacher Rav Yerushalayim. He needs to have some muscle power behind him in order to bidoche the, the shaykhet. And says, now, the fact that um, some people said that he didn't do, the one who gave Adis was a Machal Shabbos. So, uh, again, Adis and Machal Shabbos, uh, you have to um, discard completely. Then he has another question, that's Shochtim. The other one, San Francisco cable cars. Are you, is it mutter to go on an electric car that's going with Tochair? Everybody who ever saw a Rice commercial knows what I'm talking about, that the cable cars are the essential <coughs> things that they went around San Francisco. Those were, we gave it its, have you been there? Yes. Yeah, okay. So you, you've ridden on the San Francisco cable cars. On Shabbos? On Shabbos. Right, yeah. So, there's no, he says there's, there's, there's no open fire. Uh, it's not a steam car, right? Because in the cable cars are electric. There's electric, uh, yeah. electric. That's right. But was it electricity was involved in it? No, there were, there were like pulleys at the end of the line. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. right. Not in the car itself, right? Yeah. yeah. So he says an ish pashit who's traveling can't even get to where the motor is, where the engine. There's no way to adjust or do anything or to touch it. Because uh, it, 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 it's a sakana, so he says, "Look, cable cars is really the same question that was had arisen in Europe in the beginning of the 19th century of taking trains." He says, "These are like trains that are now everywhere." So we know that normally to go riding on a horse is an isser because it's you, you want to go faster, and since you want to go faster, what might you do to get the horse to go faster? Snip off a twig from a from a branch and then beat the horse in order to go faster. Obviously, that's not shayach when it comes to this type of travel, and it's not doing it specifically for the Jew, right? Because the, it's got its line; it runs on a specific line. It's not stopping specific for you. You're just jumping on. Could you do that? And he says it's even better than all the uh, it's even better than all the um, train questions because the train questions deal with another problem of tchumim. Because the train travels, if you're on the train already, or you know the train is going to be traveling on Shabbos, is it considered as if you traveled outside of the Tchum or not? And a boat, it's a little bit different, because a boat is considered not considered in a, in a normal uh, traveling area, but on a train, uh, 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 considered the elevation, and you're not moving, the train is moving. So there was some shy left whether a train would be a problem of traveling on Shabbos on a train, in terms of Tchumim. We say that there is, the Mishnah Baruch Paskins, that there is, but he says here on the cable cars, there was no problem of traveling long distances because you're in the city. So the Charit should be mutter to go on the cable car to, to again, the money issue is another point, but I think that you have to, there might have been a situation where originally you were just able to just jump on the train. I don't know if you have to necessarily pay to get on. I think you do, but. There might have been a point where the money wasn't the point. I guess maybe there was a way you can show a card. Who knows? But anyway. Jump on the outside. Hold on to the back. Yeah, well, that's what you see. But he says, however, there is the Chassam Sefer. The Chassam Sefer says in, in uh, a chuva about trains, where he says, even that's also. Because, as the Ramban says in Parshas uh, Amor, that there's an idea of Shabbos, Nishabistik. There's an idea of things that are Be'etzem, because it's contrary to the whole essence of what Shabbos is supposed to be. He proves it from a Ramban. Some Sefer uses that as an Isser for going on trains. That's the last piece of the Chassam Sefer there, and you can see that Adaris says it, And therefore, you can see from there that based on the Chassam Sefer, it should be Osir, now, it could be he means the payment over here, Mavadi, Surim, the Rabbanon that are involved, 
And that's an Isr Daraisa. In other words, there are certain activities which the Chsam Sefer says, based on this Ramban, are, are, that you've been mevatel, the mitzvah, I say, of Shabbosayn. It's a complete bitl of what Shabbos stands for. And going on the train, he believes, going on the cable car and using it as your way to get, even if you're going for a good reason to go to Shul, would be Osir from Isr Daraisa. That's our cable car. So what do we do so far? We did Sheikhtim, cable cars. And now let's go to the last tshuva, San Francisco, the earthquake show question. So, okay, so good question. Good question. A good question. Right. So uh, elevator might be an issue as well, considering, right, um, you know, based on this. I do think there's a difference between a public transportation than once you're in a, inside the house. Um, I think part of it is the public nature of what you're doing. It isn't so much the ease of the transport, but the fact is that this is, this is again, the optics here, I think, are a little bit different. However, elevators is another question, and it's probably worth exploring as well. That's a good point. Okay, earthquakes. That's the other thing San Francisco. Yeah, the driver. Someone driving, it could be different. Do you have someone driving the elevator? No, the tram, whatever, or someone conducting or even managing a car. So you're saying that elevator, you're the driver. The elevator is automatic system, no one touching it, no active user, which needs no active manager. It's very simple. This thing, there has to be someone you know, running the system, which is a guy doing the block. He's doing something. Right, but if the elevator has a bunch of other people in it and you walk into the elevator, is it, is, would that be a problem? <laughs> Again, it really, I, I'm not ready to discuss the elevator question. It's, it's a good thing to be bavar. Um... um let me just, you know what, since you brought it up, let's take a look at some safe here for a second. Here's that some safe that I mentioned. Let's see if we can get it up here. What are you saying, Mark? I'm thinking that there's the cable, I'm guessing, is running. This is a guess. I don't know. I'm sure we can Google oh, yeah, this. How it works. The cable's running continuously under the street. Somebody's got to be pulling the lever to grab onto the cable to make to, to you know the train grabs the cable and starts going and then has to release the cable to make a stop. I'm guessing. I don't, I don't know. That's how it works. Okay. It's open up. Just just to show you the some the, cipher that the Adaris quotes. He says. I think there's an issue of the rice involved based on the Rabbana parshas Emor. We know that going on. We know that being in a in a besides Truman being on. It's a cable up on top. Right. Okay. So you guys came up with something. I, I don't mind. I, I agree, Jack. You can ride a shop you can ride the cable cars in the same. It should be similar. Take a look at this Tom for them. Um, he says, we know that the, it's already in the Gemara, and it's already in the, the Paiskim, the Rishayim, about being on a boat. So when you're in a boat, he says, you're not doing anything with your body. You've got your, you've got your room, you're sitting in the boat, the boat is moving, you're not doing anything. And therefore, the water is moving, and you're noch. If you're on, you're in a in the in the train, and even though the train is moving, he says, and you're moving through the tchum, he says, it's imtosha b'shabas raglecha. You're not being shayvis, and it's definitely uved the chol. And he says, davka b'svina sheyoshev b'katadra ve'ena miskar v'maisa gufay. So basically, this is an interesting chiluk. He says, when you're in a stateroom in a boat. You basically don't move at all. You, you you can you can sit just as well as in your house. When you're in one of these uh, things that move, whether it's a car or a, a, uh, a train, gufo novinod. Your body is always moving and shaking. And therefore, and what's your whole purpose of traveling? Because you have a, you have business the next day. So, posh it that it's definitely worse. So, this idea of gufo no 
might be a, a, another chiluk. In other words, the idea that your body is so involved uh, is different than, and again, I'm not sure. I, 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 my senses on the train, <laughs> you're moving, you're pushing. So that would, I think, that might be what that Darius is referring to. And that's a, that might be different than, the elevator car should be the same thing, though. But <laughs> I'm going back and forth like that. All right, last Shiloh. Okay, so so far we've got we've got two possessions for Kansas City, two possessions for San Francisco. Now we've got the San Francisco guys. The, San Francisco, we got the beer. The beer is definitely here for somebody. All right, let's go with the last. Uh, let's go with the last. Uh, Myron Malcolm. By the way, um, okay. Again, I, 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 I don't know if I mentioned, of course, that today's meal was uh, presented. This was uh, sponsored by Micha, uh, Micha Silverman, uh, in memory of his father. Uh, there was a Tanai, Kaidam Lamaisa, that we don't spend any time in any psukim at all. So, uh, but he did tell me, he told me a lot of Choshava things about his father, but he was a seemingly a Choshava Yid. And this uh, was for Micha. yeah. So, anyway, as we said, We've done Shmuel the Yishochet, Shmuel to Yishtern, and now we have uh, Mikvoyus. Okay, so I'm going to speak it out outside. This tshuva was uh, written by Rav Meir Isaacson, who was an Aidan by the Nadvarna. He was a shtickle a Rebbe Nadvarna. He's known as the Ramana Rebbe, Ramana Rov. He was a Rav in Philadelphia and then in New York. I spoke to his son, who, by the way, is the head of that. Uh, Kashrut organization that we were talking about before, Shlomo Yitzchak Isaacson. I spoke to his father. I spoke to the son this morning about his father because I told him I'm going to be mentioning his father. His father wrote a tshuva to the world's most famous mikveh expert of the mid 20th century. And that was Rav Chaim Yantov Lipa Deitch, known as the Helmetzer, the Helmetzer Rebbe. Helmetz was a city in Czechoslovakia, and but he was much more famous for what he did around the world, and especially here in the United States, going to places with whole complete Hasidic regalia, going to places all over where Jews were, and dealing with the mikvoyas questions because he wanted to be Matzel Klal Yisrael from the Surya Kores that are connected with Nida to make sure all the mikvoyas were done properly. And for years, um, you know, he would be called in to deal with the construction and deal with mikvoyas. Suffice to say, I got a little bit of a um, of a primer on Hilchas Megvoyas from um, my good friend Rabdubi Weiss, who is our uh, magachir and Rashid over here, and he has written a sefer on Megvoyas. So this the tshuva that I'm not going to go into in depth uh, with you, I needed his help to really understand. Um, and what the question was like this: because of the city councils, and this was we, we're going here into the uh, to the latter part of the 20th century. These tshuvas were written in 1979, I think, before Montana <laughs> and, uh, and the 49ers uh, had their greatness. But even before that, they had the, the, these questions about the San Francisco uh, mikvah. They knew that because of the earthquakes that happened there, that they needed to buttress the boyrus and, and the mikvoyas with some sort of metal rods in the concrete. And that was the question, because these metal rods, which were in a sense, mimed the mikvah, what were they worried about? They worried about earthquakes would cause fissures in the, in the boyrus. If fissures occur in the boyrus, then what happens is is that you don't really have a mikveh anymore. Forget about the, even if the 40s are there, but if the water seems to be spurring out, then it's no longer a mikveh. Mikveh, by definition, is yikavu amayim. The definition of a mikveh is that it's basically contained in one place. Here it's called zeichlin, that the, the, that the water is moving. It's seeping and moving out, and it's seeping and moving out because the earthquakes have caused breaks in the concrete, which caused, and you know the water is moving out. So that could passel the mikvah. So in order to build the mikvah, Meirash, and again, I don't know what they did with the old mikvah, they wanted to build the mikvah based on uh, using uh, metal rods, and this is what the contractor in the shul suggested. The city board of buildings got involved as well, and they also had their suggestions. The question is, since metal, what they were going to do was the following. They were going to build around the... You have, of course, it was you, for reinforcement. It was not well, important. where you're going to have the bar, which the rainwater is. Then you were going to have the mikvah, the, like the bathtub, that you would have hashoka from the, from the rainwater into the spot where 
people go to the mikveh, but then around that they wanted to build a, another concrete uh, uh, bar, as it would be, uh, around it with metal with metal rods, with reinforced in the concrete. And the question is, are those things makat or makabel tumah? Then we know the Gemara says in Zvachim and other places that you can't have uh, uh, you can't have the uh, thing that allows the mikvah to stay tahar or to be tahar from a dover that's makabel that it's makabel tumah. So these metal rods are makabel tumah. They're makabel tumah. They are now what's keeping the mikvah a kosher mikvah. So uh, Rav Isaacson, uh, the Raman Arov, uh his son told me that he is a uh, an expert uh, was an expert in mikvoyes. The Raman Arov, um ruled that it's a lekatchila kosher based on a trumas noy de some sefer that especially since it, it's, it hasn't happened yet. In other words, the the crack hasn't happened. It's only something which might happen in the future. And you're right; it is the backup, but. It's it's not the thing that's koshering the mikveh. The mikveh is kosher the way it is. And the other idea is is that it's even if the crack occurs, it's so minuscule these cracks that you're not noticing the the flow. In order for it to be usher, in order for it to be a real problem of passing the mikveh, it has to be the Rashba says a zechilanikeres. It has to be that you can see the flowing. The fact that you know. Intellectually, that it's there uh, isn't a problem. Uh, Rav Isaacson also says that there's ways to be machshir the mikveh. Even Lekatchili says, especially if it's he says if the um, if the beams are, are 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 put specifically into the ground originally, so they they don't have a din of a dover, of something that's makabel tumah. They have a din of the ground itself, even with right. So therefore, it's, it's, it's not even a Dabash Makabotum at all. Rav Isaacson said, I'm going to tell you now that it's mutter, mutter, lekatchilo, without a problem. The Rav in, in Akko, that was also, who, uh, um, uh, was also asked about this question, wanted to use another tzad to be Mako, and he said, there's a pikuach nefesh issue. He says, if it's true, he says that an, a woman could be going to the mikvah there, right? Yeah. And he says, that an, and a tremor occurs. This thing could, this thing could, this, and even if the earthquake happened in a different time, but the aftershock, whatever, could cause the 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 bar to sort of collapse. So he says, for pikuach nefesh as well, he says there's a there's a safety issue. He says that should allow this mikvah uh, no matter what. So. He seems to assume it's a shtikla b'diyevet. I don't know enough about mikvoyes at all. I just got a lesson from my my my, my co-rosh yeshiva. I'm not really rosh yeshiva anyway, but my my co-teacher. And um, so, but it's interesting that San Francisco became because of the earthquake issue became a place for this question to be examined. Uh, so those are the three. I want to end with a a um, uh, just one other point here. And this is uh, a statement from from the Adaris and Rav Henkin about what was Nebuch in San Francisco. So I said there's two chuvas from uh, the Adaris. So this is the second one. The second one is very sad. And then I'm going to read you something from Henkin, and then we'll stop. Yeah. This is... Um, so this was a question about a non-Jew that had become a lover with a Jewish woman and they wanted to arrange a gerus. They wanted to arrange a uh, a marriage uh, a marriage between the two but the first they gave the they gave the non-Jew a bris milah first. Um, um, so the Adaris of course just like his brother his stepbrother knew that of course there was no tefillah for gerus. There was no kabbalah mitzvahs and he says, I'm not sure if you, you should be doing this. I'm not sure if you should, even now that you see that they're in love and you see that he was willing to submit to a, a to a, 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 a circumcision, I don't know if it's worth trying to make him into a Jew. The parrots is Merubala Oimeg where you are. From the 24,000 Jews in the 1890 that were there, you don't even have a hundred that keep Shabbos. There even there isn't of a hundred that keep Shabbos there, and it's for sure in terms of other Yisurim as well. Why should we add someone else who clearly isn't interested in, in, in keeping Torah mitzvahs and add him to the Jewish body? 
He says, Ha'ain dai lanu b'Yisrael mileidu mibeten, Paishim umardim, Eichleid Basar, look what's going on. There are there are already Jews that were born, that were born Jews, that we know are eating treif and, and, and doing all terrible averis there. So you want to now bring more Jews? And people, again, and they're probably not Jewish anyway, but still. So he says, look, I agree. If it's true that this Jewish girl wants to really keep Torah, and she wants to keep the mitzvahs and the minhagim, and she is willing to go to the mikvah properly. I don't know if the earthquake issue was a problem then, but he said that that came in the, ten years later. He says that okay, so I'm going to assume she's truthful. If you check her out and she says she's a from Jewish girl and she wants to keep Torah mitzvahs and she's going to keep, then once already the, her paramour has had a bris and they love each other, and you see they love each other to the point that you're not going to be able to separate them, all right, we'll call them Geirim. But if what you find out about her is that she also is really not that interested, but he says, and you see that she's also not interested, then no. Um, let them live, so even though they're going to live as Goyim together, he says, okay. He says, if you, he says, look, if it, it might be considered Znus with a Goy, that's bad. But it's not as bad as turning him into a Jew and having him live with a bunch of Averis, with Chilol Shabbos, etc., etc. Um, so this was, an again, it, it maybe could have been written today, I don't know. But this, I thought, <laughs> was interesting about what it said about what was going on in that community. One last thing from Rav Hankin. Rav Hankin uh, in, uh, wrote this um, tshuva to the rabbi of, uh, a rabbi in Los Angeles who was a... Um, Talmud Rav Haran Kotler of Zalman Uri. And um, he wrote this letter in, 19, in 1961, uh, actually 1960 in Los Angeles. So you can see what the Shilas were. Uh, Zalman Uri had come to Los Angeles. He was working with the Federation there. He was there for many, many years. Uh, he died, uh, he was, um, he died, I think, also in the 2000s. He was, uh, I think he was born in 1924. And I think he died in 2000. I think he died in 2006. Um, anyway, so uh, Zalman Uri uh, was zocha to get chubas from Rav Moshe and Rav Hankin. And here is you can see what the questions are about. Can a machal Shabbos be part of a minion? Can you dive in a minion with machal Shabbos? I'm just going to go to the very end of this because I want to stop here before it becomes too long. And then we're going to have the after. We're going to have the post game coming up. He says, "Look, I answer you all your questions about LA." But you know what really LA needs? Los Angeles I've got a moiset called Ezra Steiner, right? And Ezra Steiner, of course, is helping poor people all over the world, especially in Eretz Yisrael. He says, um, and I know you're part of the Federation in LA, but you guys are not doing your stuff. He says, you've got to change that, and you've got to start sending a decent amount of money. A thousand dollars that that's not a, a big amount of money. He says Montreal, Toronto, and Boston, which are poorer cities, are sending that amount. Chicago used to get 15000 <laughs> And now they still send a number of thousands. Los Angeles, but me, Litzley Sashoba. So I want you to definitely make sure there's money out there, please. But then he gets to, he says, what it really bothers me is about a San Francisco. He says, the rabbis have called me from San Francisco that I should send them a nusach. Uh, that what? That they need gitten in San Francisco. So basically what they want is that they want to be able to appoint a cipher, an adim in New York. In other words, they don't want to have a person writing the gitten there. They want to have the husband be able to uh, to appoint a writer and witnesses, and they want me, Rav Hankin, to send them what, what nusach they should have the the Magarish say. So he says, um, "Look, we we do stuff like that in wartime. Like we're you're 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 you're, you're far away. You don't have any connection to Rabbanim. You want to have a get, so we will allow you to be mamana someone in some city way far away to write the get to be the adam on the get." That's a wartime issue. But you should have a rov. You should have a safer. He says, okay, uh, he, he says, I can't believe. Los Angeles, he says, you have a lot of Tamina Chokomim. And, and, and he says, okay, let them study by people who know about Gitan. 
and, and, and let them gain some expertise. And therefore, Los Angeles should take care of its little brother, San Francisco, and let them send a, a rov there. Okay, maybe can't be there all the time, but at least he should be there as, a, as an itinerant rabbi to come there and be Masader Gittin for them. He says, He says, um, speak to your Rabbonim, speak to your heads of the schools, you can mention my name. So again, I think it really speaks a lot to what San Francisco was like, even as late as 1960, that they really didn't have anyone there. So again, obviously things have changed. I know Chabad, I know I'm sure is very strong there. And other places have, 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 have changed it. But this is a place that, that's interesting, both of these spots, in terms of the Shabbos Command. Okay, so that's the end of the game. I don't know who wins. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please take a moment to share this or any of the many episodes available on our platform with friends in order to help grow our community. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.